You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, all right. Well, we are getting into the Word of God in our time uh, this morning. And if you didn't know, hopefully you know by now, but if not, it's okay. We are in the book of James. We are journeying through James and we are endeavoring, the, the goal, the hope of this series is to dedicate this half an hour or so every Sunday into reading this letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, James, to the churches that are scattered abroad. And the hope is, is that we would connect the dots and that we would not only read it as a historical letter written to Christians then, but that we would hear it and receive it now as Christians now. A lot of times I think we, we say, wow, that's good for them. Or maybe we subconsciously say that's awesome. But what does it mean for me? Well, this is as e- equally as important for us as it was them. And we're making our way through. We are finishing up chapter 3. And again, this is... Uh, Pastor James here, he's speaking to Christians scattered abroad in his letter. Uh, again, we're, we're picking it up chapter 3, but just think of it as like a handwritten letter on a scroll that you've been given, and this is like midway through it. So we're picking up where James left off, chapter 3, verse 13. James speaking, he says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. By living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, so before we get into what James is saying, what I want to do is uh, perhaps frame this text before expounding on it really anymore. And what I want to do is I want to remind us of really the core idea of Christianity. Right, even when Jesus was ascending to heaven, there was really, I'm going to say, two main things that he, like in his final words on earth, communicated to his disciples. Right, you know, usually like people's like final words are important ones, right? And these are, again, he's ascending to heaven and we know he's not dead in the same way that we would talk about final words. But in Jesus' final words to his followers, what did he say? We call it the Great Commission. That's part of it. Number one is he, he commissioned his followers to go out and make disciples. 
of all the nations. You are my disciples. Now you go and disciple others in the way of Jesus. And he also, that's like the end of Matthew, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we say, but, Jesus said, don't do that until. There's a prerequisite. He says, don't do that until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Do that, but don't do it yet until you get the Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, fills you up so that you are making disciples, you're serving the Lord, you're living for the Lord, not on your own strength, but actually out of the strength that God gives you. So I would, I would beg to say, um, might fight you over it a little bit, is the core idea of Christianity is discipleship. It's discipleship. And, you know, that word is lost on us. That's Christianese. You go to anybody that doesn't grow up in the church or like any non-Christian, you say, discipleship. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying. Or I maybe have an idea, but it's definitely not the idea that you're talking about. To better give us an understanding of discipleship, we might understand it as apprenticeship. That might be a more modern term that we can grab hold of. And that is the idea of discipleship in Christianity. And what I mean by that is, even looking at, um, you know, thinking back to Judaism in the Middle East, if you were um, in that culture, in that religion, discipleship was a big part of your upbringing because what happened was is that obviously there were a bunch of different rabbis and rabbis would take students and so there'd be kids from a young age that learned the Torah and learned you know, the way of the Old Testament, and they learned all that it meant to be a Jew. And so these young kids would study under rabbis. Another word for rabbi would be teacher, right? And so these young kids growing up in Judaism would be sitting themselves under their rabbi. They would be disciples of this rabbi. They would be students of this teacher, but what was required of them was more than just head knowledge. If they were good, what they wanted to do was they wanted to actually emulate their rabbi's every move. Their mannerisms, the way they spoke, the way they talked, their interpretation of scripture. These little kids under these rabbis that were studying Judaism would endeavor to emulate this rabbi's every move. And so again, we aren't, most of us here are not Jewish and we haven't studied under rabbis. We haven't grown up in the church in, in that way. So for us, we can more relate it to, again, apprenticeship, where uh, a lot of my friends now are, are tradesmen, electricians, plumbers, contractors. For a season, what they would do is they would sit themselves under someone that was really good at their trade. And they would learn, and they would learn uh, not only exactly how to do things, but they would learn maybe tips and tricks from that mentor, from that person. And so you could almost tell who you studied under because you were trying to be good at the trade. And so you, did, you soldered that thing differently because, oh, that was what my mentor said, and that's how I learned under that person. So in the same way as discipleship back then or apprenticeship today, 
Christian discipleship is to be a study or to put ourselves under our teacher or our rabbi, which is Jesus. So as Christians, the core identity that we're supposed to be in is actually to be learners or students of our rabbi, and that's King Jesus. And our apprenticeship or our discipleship to Jesus isn't just supposed to be when we're young, to a certain age, or to a certain skill level, and then you're set off on your own. Our discipleship or our apprenticeship is different in that we are lifelong learners. As followers of Jesus, we're to follow the way of Jesus until we see Jesus face to face. There is no like, you are super Christian. You have gained this level. You have this badge and your training is over. Every other form of you know, training or apprenticeship or mentorship probably has an end goal. But the end goal is just to emulate Jesus. Again, it's not another person. We can look to other people in our life. Uh, even Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Like if you want to use a role model or a mentor, yeah, model yourself after me. But the whole point is that we as Christians would strive to emulate the person of Jesus. And if you're taking notes, uh, I actually don't know if I have it on here, but this is, as disciples of Jesus, this is what we're supposed to do. As disciples of Jesus, we strive to be with Jesus, we strive to become like Jesus, and we strive to do what Jesus did. Like, this is the point of Christianity. The way in which we grow in our discipleship is coming to church, is studying the Bible, is praying together, is being in Bible studies, is giving, is serving. Those are all ways that we can totally grow. But I think sometimes we think Christianity is going to church. That's, that's a means to an end. Right? We, we come to gather around the person of Jesus, to exalt the person of Jesus, so that we, as a people, can be formed to become more like Jesus. So the reason why I want to frame James's letter is I want to rem remind ourselves that James here, Pastor James, he's a pastor. He's their pastor. Again, most likely, there's a little bit of... Um, people somewhat different, but, but most of people agree that right, James was a pastor and leader in the church of Jerusalem, the early church, the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Heavy persecution comes upon God's people. They get scattered. There's a religious persecution to Christians in Israel. They get scattered abroad. So this pastor, James, no longer has a congregation in the room. He becomes like the video pastor of the day. He doesn't have a congregation. He's, again, they don't have video. He's writing this letter. This is James's pastoral heart coming out to his own congregation, to his own people. And his congregation is scattered due to persecution. And, and he knows 
the places that they're scattered in are not friendly places. Most of these places, if not all of them, are Gentile cities. They're not even just friendly just to ethnic Jews, not even just Jews that have converted to Christianity, but just being Jewish. These are not friendly cities. These are not friendly places. These people left their homes, their families, their wealth, their possessions. They've moved. A lot of them are in poverty, or they have no jobs, or they have no connections. They have no foot to stand on. They're not liked. I mean, these are hostile environments that he's writing this letter to. But James, Pastor James, we have to think, knows that God is sovereign. And even when persecution comes upon the church, God can use that for his glory. You want to know how the church of Christianity, like the religion of Christianity, grew so heavily in that time? It's because of persecution. Because now all these Christians are scattered abroad, and then they start talking about Jesus to all these people that never heard about Jesus. So, you know, what the Romans and others thought would kill the church actually grew the church. And James is speaking to them because he knows that some of these Christians in these cities are the only representatives of Jesus around those parts. We live in a fairly Christian-saturated culture here right now, whether that be in America or in Hawaii. It's it's, it's pretty Christian-saturated. Again, there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus in different spheres. But I'm just saying, can you imagine if the you were the only person on the island of Oahu that knew Jesus? The only person. Can you just imagine that for a second? You're like, oh my gosh. I'm the only one. Like this is the kind of discrepancies. This is the kind of environment that James is speaking into here, right? And I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, you may be the only Bible people ever meet or you may be the only Bible people ever read. You guys ever hear this saying? Again, it's Christianese. I grew up middle school, high school. And so but the point of that saying is that you and I have a certain group of friends. We have a certain family. We have a certain job. We have certain neighbors. And we encounter people that maybe no one else does. Well, I know that for, for sure. My life, I have certain people I interact with. And that one person I interact with may not have another Christian in their whole life. That, that is true, even in a, in, a, in, a, in a Christian saturated culture. The point is, and the point that James is making, is James knows how strategic each of their lives are, these Christians that he's speaking to. And each of, our, each of us have incredibly strategic lives. And we'll get to that at the end of the sermon, how how very strategic each of our lives is. But James knows how strategic each of them are placed, but he also knows how very hard it will be for each of them even to stay following Jesus. He knows both of those are very true. These Christians are surrounded by everything but Christ. So he's holding those two. Oh my goodness. My people, my sheep, are scattered abroad. I'm writing this letter to them. There is so much for potential for God to use them, 
But it's a double-edged sword. There is so much potential they're going to fall away from Jesus because they're not in community. They don't have other believers. There's no one else around them at all. So Paul said this similar thing in his letters to the church in Corinth. He writes two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You read it for yourself. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, speaking to the church, says something similar. Uh, I'll read it to you. Paul speaking. Again, he's just in the middle of his letter, so I'll pick up. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us... This wonderful message of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. We, Christians, are Christ's ambassadors. In other words, we're his representatives, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Each of us are ambassadors, representatives of Jesus to the world. Doesn't matter if you have this platform or not, right? This is each of us are ambassadors for Christ to communicate who Jesus is to the world. But Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 15:33, bad company corrupts good character. So again, thinking of James, he's saying the same thing. He's thinking the same thing. Oh my goodness. God is strategically placing Christians all around the world to share the gospel. But they're all alone. And there is a real danger that just the company around them is going to corrupt them. So as you read this letter, James is contrasting what a disciple is not, and what a disciple should be. Or in other words, what James is doing here is he's comparing the lifestyle characteristics that do not line up with the way of Jesus and those characteristics that do line up with the disciple of Jesus. Okay, so I'm just going to work through them real quick, and I'm almost, I'm almost, I'm almost pow here. But this is what your life should not consist of as a Christian. James says it. I'm just going to put it in list form for you. Jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, boasting and lying and selfishness. This is not the way of Jesus. For whatever reason, James specifically picked these. I do not know. Maybe he heard word that all of the Christians scattered abroad were struggling with this. Or maybe he just knew himself and knew humanity and is like, dude, it's going to be really easy for you to just struggle with this. If you're in this room and you identify as a follower of Jesus and a Christian, and you read this list, and if you have these things, this is you, this is me, right? This would be the time to take note of this and submit that to God and ask God to change you. And to be like, oh man, like, 
I really struggle with jealousy. I really struggle with looking around and wanting what everything, everybody else has. Not being content with what I have. I, I struggle with not being happy for someone else. When they do good, I feel, I feel jealous. Again, all of us are going to struggle with these things. So I hope you're not like, I'm good. But if there is an area where you feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting you today, this would be the time to be like, okay, this is why I came to church. Because God wants to continue to disciple me, right? We are continual learners. We're in class today under King Jesus, under our rabbi. And he says, okay, class, examine your own life. Right, that's, that's kind of where I want to get us to. So James says, hey, if you're a Christian and you have this, like that's not the way of Jesus. But then he says, this is the way of Jesus. And then he lists all these characteristics of what Christians should be. This is what should mark a Christian. We should be peace-loving. We should be gentle at all times. We should be willing to yield to others. We should be full of mercy. We should show no favoritism. And we should always be sincere. Again, James is purposely contrasting and he's making it very practical. James is not trying to complicate this for us. He's, he's, meant, he's meaning for it to just come across and to be, when, 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 you know, when you're reading this, it goes, oh, wow, okay, like, this is like an assessment. This is a, these are questions. These are uh, things that I should look at my own life for. So if you look at your own life, right, us that also identify as Christians and We've been saved and redeemed, and we're total works in progress, but we have the Holy Spirit in us now, right? We should, in some ways, start looking like this. And so if you look at this and you're like, yeah, since I became a Christian, I totally know that in these areas I've been growing. Rejoice and praise God and thank God. Like, that's his work in us. Like, we have to be like, God, thank you for changing me. Thank you for continuing to make me more like you. But if you have room to grow, which all of us do, I'm not going to make you raise your hands. All of us would raise our hands if we were honest. We all have areas we totally need to grow in. Again, this is just yet another opportunity to allow Jesus to do what Jesus does and to change us and to make us more like him. Don't think of it as like a reprimand. Think of it as like an opportunity to become, to decrease so that Christ would increase in us. Like think of it as an opportunity to grow, to become more like Jesus. Because here's the truth, and here's where I'm going to end. The world needs us. Each one of us that are Christians are so needed. The more broken the world becomes, the more there's a need that we would be ambassadors for Jesus. Not less. There's not less need. There's more need. Right? The more pain we see around us, the more need there is for ambassadors of joy and hope that, that are necessary. You're not less needed. You're more needed. Um... And, and till, I'm, till, till, till I'm not doing this anymore, right? Till, till God calls me out of this, I will ring this bell. 
And you probably heard many times, like he says it all the time. But this is, this is something I really feel passionate about. Uh, I ring this bell a lot, so, and I will, till I'm done. <laughs> each of us, each of us, and I mean it, have a special and unique place in God's kingdom. I will, I will fight you for that one. Because here's the deal. People always look to me as a pastor and say, well, you're a pastor and you're extroverted and you have a speaking ability or what, whatever it is, whatever it is. God's going to use you, but then they begin telling me why God doesn't want to use them or why they think that God uses them less or why they're not as important. And I'm like, stop. Stop. Each of our lives is equally valuable and important and strategic. Like, and this is what I want to harp on too. The job you have is not a coincidence. The job you don't have is not a coincidence. The family you have is not a coincidence. The friends you have, the neighbor you have, the supermarket you shop at, the gas station you get into, the car you drive, the friends you have, <laughs> nothing. God, God's not like haphazardly doing anything. He goes, oh yeah, I've given you that wild family of yours. That family that just is complicated, that is yours. So that I can use you for my glory in it. The roommate that you're like, I cannot wait till the lease is up. Until the lease is up, that is the person that God wants you to minister to and love and care for. You here in Hawaii... Some of you are generational, like you've been here forever and you'll never leave. Amen. You're here for literally a day. You're visiting today. Hi. It's not a coincidence. Your time here right now is purposeful and is strategic, and God wants to use each of us to show others his love and grace and goodness and what Jesus looks like. Like the other day, I just ran into someone, and like a lot of times people don't believe I'm a pastor. I don't know. I actually take it as a good thing. I'm like, thank you. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't know. I just want you to be like, see Jesus in me. I want to be a person. Right? But, but the whole point is, is that this person, like, grew up around Christianity, around church, grew up going to different churches. But then I began just to speak to him just about life, just honestly, just talking story. And he could not believe that like, and we started talking about Jesus, and we started about the way of Jesus, and like, because I'm just being normal, I'm just being normal, like I'm not just talking about what my life's about, your life's this, I'm life's this, and this person could not believe that that truly was the person of Jesus, I, I don't believe, this person even said, are you trying to scam me, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not doing it, I'm just honestly telling you, this is what Christianity is about. It's about following the person of Jesus. Christians, we're really good at complicating that. Oh, we're experts at messing this thing up. But the point of James to wrap up, he's harping on this. He's harping on this again because he's, he, he's saying, like, 
You are saved. You are placed in the perfect place. Your actions outweigh your words. It is so important that you are transformed and that your life bears the fruit of Christ because those around us that are literally dying and hurting and lost and broken and they just need to meet Jesus. Can you show them? And so uh, my exhortation to end, uh, I'll, I'll talk for a long time, so I will wrap up, is church. This is for us today. I think Jesus is saying, come away with me. Let me transform you. And in the messiness of your life, all of our lives are messy. All of our lives are not perfect. All of our lives have issues. But in the mess, in where you're at right now, let's endeavor to apprentice Jesus to be transformed and to bear the fruit that James talks about. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are a good father. That even as we hear this word and even as we sit here and we are convicted, like we are challenged, we need to remember it's because our heavenly father that is perfect and all loving and all caring knows what's best for us and desires for us to be made more whole, to be freed from sin, and to walk in righteousness. Lord, I want to pray for myself and for all my brothers and sisters in this room and watching online. I pray that we would become more like you, Jesus. I pray that we would, like, we would, we'd stop complicating it. And we'd sit at the feet of Jesus and we'd allow the Holy Spirit to just transform us and even speak to those areas or those voices that want to say, oh, no, you're not valuable, you're not worthy, or you're not important. We just say no to that in the name of Jesus. We receive your truth that each of us have a unique purpose and a unique place to be used for you in this world for your glory, regardless if we think of our personality or our, our influence or whatever it is, God, I, I pray that today we would know our value and our worth and the place that you've given us um, that you want to use us. So encourage us, embolden us, and, and use us for your glory there. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.